That's Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptised, and there were added to that, that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Morning, everyone. Thanks, Abby. It'd be great if you keep that uh, open in front of you. And let me pray as we dive into God's word. Our Father God, we have no interest in human religion. We want to know the truth about you. More than that, we want to know you. And so, Father, we pray that as we study your word this morning, please would you reveal yourself to us, that we might have confidence that our lives are built on a relationship with the true and living God, and that our church is grounded in the fullest possible experience of you. Amen. The most connected generation yet, dot, dot, dot. If you type that into Google, what do you think is going to, or how do you think Google's going to try and, you know how Google tries to finish off your sentence? How do you think Google's going to try and finish that sentence off for you? Uh, well, you never quite know. The Google algorithm might be different for you as to me, um, those pesky algorithms. But for me, what it came up with was the loneliest. The loneliest. And that's been borne out for me even this week in a conversation I had with one of our congregation members who said that they've observed more and more people coming back to the office uh, not because <laughs> it's obviously going to be warmer this winter there uh, for work, but because they're lonely working from home. And then I had a phone call with uh, a local man um, who's uh, lived here for quite some time, and he was lamenting the loss of community from days gone by in this area. People in and out of their homes all the time, but no more. And then on Wednesday, Christians Against Poverty published their annual client report, reporting that 79% of their clients felt lonely. 79% felt that they had nobody to turn to when they had a problem. 63% felt that they had not had a meaningful conversation in over a week. Folks, there's a deep need and a deep longing for community in our society not just to fix our isolation, 
but also as medicine for our dislocation. Because <laughs> I think it's obvious to us all that our culture is so fractured and divided. We would divide almost over almost anything, won't we? So that too often the communities that we end up creating are homogenous. They're just full of people like us. Or very brittle. So that when there's a disagreement or a problem, th things end up breaking, falling apart, because it's just too much like hard work. And yet here in Acts 2, wonderfully, I mean, what do we see? A picture of something far, far better. It's not a formal template of this is how church should run, but a snapshot of the first few days of a vibrant community of people who have been filled with the Spirit of God and are excitedly working out, well, <laughs> what is this going to mean for us now? And it starts not actually with what they do, but with who they are. The beginning of chapter 2, uh, well, it's a while ago, a few weeks ago we were, we were in there, but you might remember uh, that uh, there were people from all over the then known world gathered together for the annual Pentecost festival. And then here, by the end of the chapter, we find 3,000 of them have come to faith in Christ Jesus. And so presumably those of them who lived in Jerusalem were now opening their dinner tables and their homes to people from all kinds of different cultures and uh, backgrounds and customs with different languages, which I think makes this early church one of the most diverse and inclusive people groups ever to gather together. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful. But how, how, how does this happen? Well, the answer is found in the last few verses we looked at a few weeks ago and that we began our Bible reading with this morning. Look at verse 37. Peter's just told them that Jesus Christ, whom they crucified about 50 days earlier, is actually the Lord and Messiah. And then he goes on, well then, then we read on and it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Folks, instinctively, as human beings, we put up barriers for our self-protection. We are just ridiculous, ridiculously, pathetically brilliant at doing that. And yet, the cross of Christ is the great key for breaking down barriers. As one theologian states it boldly, how can you look down on anyone else when you're standing at the foot of the cross? I mean, what is the one entry requirement to this new community, this, this baby church here in Acts 2, or any church for that matter. The one entry requirement is admitting that we are sinners who need Jesus. I'm only standing here in church this morning because Jesus, in his great kindness to me, has paid the price for my sin. And that's true for me, but it's also true for you, just as it was true for these early believers. And that, 
levels the playing field, and it brings about a radical unity. I recently read the account of a missionary who spent most of his life traveling to places where it's illegal and seriously, seriously dangerous to be a Christian. He started back in the 1950s visiting communist countries in Europe to encourage poor, uh, embattled, beleaguered Christians in churches that were metaphorically and literally underground. They were, sorry, Christians in churches. Sorry, they weren't underground. (laughs) They were in churches that were literally and metaphorically underground. Uh, And in one of the early chapters of his autobiography, he writes that the first time he met a Christian behind the Iron Curtain. And he said, we kind of looked at each other uh, and we struggled to communicate because everything in the world was different for us. Our backgrounds, our language, our cultural assumptions. But I experienced there one of the common miracles of the Christian life. Our spirits recognized one another. Folks, if you share Christ, then you share a bond that transcends all of the things we divide over as human beings because you share really what matters most. Glorious diversity is God's gift. And unity is his miracle. So enjoy it. Enjoy that miracle if you're a Christian here this morning. Fundamentally enjoy it here and now. Like if there's no friends in your life for which the only explanation is faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, then you're missing out. You are missing out on witnessing to the power of cross to bring people together. And you're missing out on the privilege and benefit of having different perspectives speaking into your life. But more than that, actually, when our friendships at a macro level, uh, sorry, I, I, I got this wrong in the ninth area as well. <laughs> I, I, I'll stop using big words. It confuses me, and maybe it was going to confuse you anyway. When our friendships at a small level <laughs> and our church at the big level um, demonstrate the radical inclusivity and diversity of the gospel, then that brings glory to God. And we're able to say to a watching world what is demonstrated here in Acts 2. That only Jesus has the power to heal our broken and fractured society. Only Jesus. So that's who they are. Back then. Let's have a look now in more detail at what they do. What does a group of people do when they are filled with God's spirit? Well, verse 42 shows us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship uh, to the, uh, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. There you go, learning, loving, and liturgy. They firstly devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Actually, the word devoted here can literally mean addicted. It's like if you've ever binge-watched a box set, you know, either old school on CD or online. Uh, you know, and it, c- it comes, up on, comes up on the screen now online, doesn't it? You have... 10 seconds to decide whether you want to watch the next episode. Do you want to, do you want to click through and do that? 
well, yes, of course I do. I'm absolutely gripped. I can't wait a minute more but to see what happens next. Well, the early church, they were kind of like that. With the apostles' teaching, they're always clicking through. I, I like to imagine it. Um, like, uh, like, like Peter standing up in the, in the temple, and he, and he preaches like for an hour or two, and then he just sits down, absolutely exhausted for a break. And <laughs> the early church, they go, we want James, we want James, or, or John or Matthew. I, I, don't, I don't quite know. I'm just imagining it. But however it worked, it's important to see that one of the works of being filled with the Holy Spirit is a devotion to learning from the Word of God. Hold on, you might say. Why the apostles' teaching? Why not devotion to Jesus' teaching? Surely that's much more important. Well, Jesus had handpicked and appointed these apostles. And he had given them all authority in heaven and on earth. We see that a number of times in the Gospels. And then their God-given authority is actually underlined here in verse 43, where we are told that awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And you might not remember it from a couple of weeks ago, but you can look at verse 22 to what we looked at there, that mighty works and wonders and signs were a demonstration that Jesus was God's man. And so we know here that that what we're seeing is God's sign and seal of approval on the apostles. So when they speak, the early church hear the very words of Jesus. And we can too, because these words are written down for us in our Bibles. And so I guess the question is, for us, do we have that same hunger for Bible teaching? Let me push this just a little bit. I say this with only, well, I say this with a slight twinge of embarrassment because it's me up here this week preaching, but of all the things that we listen to every week, and there's so much we listen to, isn't there? Of all the things that we listen to, each week, the Sunday sermon is the most important. These 20, 25 minutes, they're the most important thing you'll hear every week. <laughs> not, not because it's my voice, but because... God himself is addressing us through the words of the apostles, all the prophets, and he's bringing it home by his spirit. That's what we pray for every week, that that's what this will be. We prep for that. And folks, we need it. We need this. As it tears down the lies that we tell ourselves, and it pulls apart the propaganda the world bombards us with and the devil wants to distract and disunify us with. This is what brings truth and reality to us in a way that nothing else can. That missionary I mentioned earlier, his, his name, you might have guessed it, is a guy, well, his name is Brother Andrew. And he died uh, just under a month ago. He was a Dutch Christian, and he, uh, he spent the Cold War smuggling Bibles um, into uh, uh, communist Europe in this VW Beetle. After the Berlin Wall fell and um, communist uh, systems sort of imploded, they found actually that, they had, they, that, uh, that the KGB had a file on him, 150 pages thick. And yet they never caught him. You can read um, all about it in this book, God's Smuggler. It's kind of like James Bond, 
but with a suitcase full of Bibles instead of a Walter PPK and a martini, shaken, not stirred. Let me just make it clear. There were quite a lot of differences between Bond and our brother Andrew, actually. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to go into them all just, just now. But, but it is every bit as gripping as a Bond film or novel. And for the people that Brother Andrew went to, owning a Bible was a crime. It was, it was seen as rebellion against the state. But these spirit-filled believers had a burning desire for the Word of God, so they were willing to risk imprisonment, or even worse, to get their hands on one of these. And that's the way that church should be, shouldn't it? Which is why I'm always encouraged when I hear of congregation members who've been away for the weekend, catching up on the sermon through the podcast or on the website. That's why we sent uh, an email out to everybody about Bible teaching conferences that we think that they'd find helpful. If you don't get those emails you'd like to, please do let us know your email address and we can keep you in the loop. But don't take those opportunities for granted. Because we don't want our hearts to... It would be so easy, I think, for our hearts to just cool towards having a hunger for the Word of God. And if that is you this morning, can I beg you, please... Ask the Lord to rekindle that fire, that hunger by his spirit. The spirit that inspired these words to be written. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And secondly, they devoted themselves to sharing all of life. Verse 42, again, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. If you've hung around church for any period of time, then you might kind of know that the word fellowship has been, become sort of synonymous with Christians hanging around after church meetings, drinking lukewarm tea and eating stale biscuits. I'm, I'm sure what we're going to get offered downstairs after church is far superior to that. I don't want to negate the work of the refreshments team. But actually what we find here, what counts for fellowship... Is anything but weak and thin? As verse 44 goes to sort of give us a picture, goes on to give us a picture of what it looked like. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God. So it's not just that they hang out and make small talk. They give to one another. They contribute to one another's lives. They share together. They share their stuff. They give without compulsion or coercion, occasionally and voluntarily. I think this is on top of what is probably... The, well, I think, I think it's safe to assume they were still paying their temple tithe regularly. This is on top of that. To meet the needs that arise within the church family. Folks, I, I've delighted, I've given thanks to see that happening in our church family too over the last number of years as individuals and, and small groups, particularly mid-groups, have gathered together to pay for meals for people or weekends away or even rent or energy bills to people in our congregation who are in need. That's a very Acts 
two attitude, isn't it? Possessions, they would have said, <laughs> they're not mine. They belong to the Lord. I, I'm just a steward of my car or house or spare room or surplus cash or whatever it might be that I've got. I'm not obliged to give it away, but there may be times where God calls me to do that because what I've got that I don't necessarily need, someone else might need. And I want my heart to be open to that. These folks, they're not just challenged to consider how they share their stuff. (laughs) They were challenged to consider how they shared life too. These folks were devoting themselves to breaking bread in one another's homes. I think a lot of people have looked at these verses and and think that what we've got here is is the Lord's Supper or communion, as we call it. I'm not sure it's totally clear that that's what that is here. I, I, I might be wrong. I'm willing to be open to that. But I think what it's mainly talking about is actually breaking bread. <laughs> it's um, gathering one another's homes and, 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 and eating together, which would, in that, this culture, would have always started in that way. So here is a group of people who are committed to hospitality. Yes, they met centrally in the temple, but they also met informally. <laughs> they were in and out of one another's homes <laughs> in a way that... Uh, that guy I spoke to on the phone lamented that we're not now. And this is one of the reasons why we always encourage people to get into a small group, particularly a midweek group. And when you do in your groups, to, to eat together, if you possibly can. Because even when these folks are meeting more informally, there is a real different dynamic to the way that they eat together than we sometimes do. It isn't just a dinner party to talk about the bake-off or the football or or, or where our kids might go to school. (laughs) It's not just that. I'm sure they did a bit of that, but it's not just that. As verse 46 says, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. So there's joy and thoughtful thanksgiving and praise for the Lord. So just a little encouragement to us as we share life together. Sometimes, of course, we should weep with those who weep and and share our doubts and discouragement with one another. But I think most of the time, the trajectory of our Christian life together should be praise and God-focused encouragement. So as we meet up informally, maybe even after this service, Let's be asking one another, what is it you're thankful for this week? What is it that is going on in your life that you can praise God for? Despite whatever might be going on in your life, what do you think the Lord and his gospel might speak into that to lift your eyes and lift your heart? And then take time to pray before you head on your separate ways. Which leads us, thirdly and finally, to how they devoted themselves to the prayers. The prayers. I I put it in those terms because that's literally what it says here and in the original language. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the prayers, the definite article. So while, of course, personal, private prayer is the Christian's vital breath, this isn't talking about devotion to prayer like that, important though it is. Instead, This is the believers gathering together to pray. 
which is this list of prayer meetings, either formal or informal, through the book of Acts, shows that one of the key marks of the Spirit-filled church is together prayer. As one minister told me when I was doing my theology degree, you can have as many people as you like in the building on a Sunday. But the real spiritual temperature of the church is how many people come to the prayer meeting? Now I say that not to <laughs> give a guilt trip to those who don't come to our prayer meetings here every month. I know there's all sorts of reasons why people can't come. Some people are stuck at work. Uh, someone has to look after the kids. Uh, some people might be on an airplane to Geneva or whatever. There's all kinds of good reasons. But here is just another encouragement from the early church. They knew that Christianity is never a lone ranger activity. The New Testament has no category for such a thing as a personal, private religion where it's just me and God. No. If you trust in Jesus, then he instantaneously makes you part of his family. And so he longs for you to know all of the benefits of being part of that family, not least the encouragement and the accountability of gathering together to pray. And so these early believers, they devoted themselves to together prayer. And clearly, it was fruitful. Because what are the results of this devotion? They're there in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Those around them that they couldn't help but notice something special was going on. Uh, they see and hear of their devotion to the apostles' teaching and to the sharing of life and to the prayers. And, and there's something so attractive about it. They, they just want to join in. And the striking thing is here that there was nothing else. The Christian church is... Well, has been crying out for decades for strategies and plans with which to make ourselves more relevant to the culture so we can make more of an impact on our world. And yet I think time after time after time, we just keep taking our eyes off the basic questions. To what extent are we devoted to listening to the Lord our God and to loving and supporting each other? For these early Christians, their strategy was simply to be the church. And there is the great challenge for us, isn't it? <laughs> it's been often observed that we love the idea of community until we realize what it demands of us. Not least because we've been marinated in this culture of materialism and individualism. And so the challenge to be a genuine Christian who plays their full part in the church and was a frightening level of commitment if we believe this to be true. And so we can look at giving ourselves to the church a bit like you might look at one of those leaflets that comes with prescription medicine. You know, the ones that list all of the things that could, be, could possibly go wrong if you take it. So that if you were actually to read it, which I don't think any of us do, <laughs> you'd never take the medicine. But before you run for the exit at the end of the service, think not just what commitment to church demands of you, but also what it promises you. When we open our lives to the Holy Spirit and seek to live out our calling as 
Christians, we help to create a community where everybody else is here for you. Where people will love you sacrificially. Where people will delight to meet your needs, whatever they may be, no matter how challenging they might be. Where there will be always someone to listen to you. And where you will be welcomed and valued unconditionally every time. Isn't that what we long for? To be part of a community like that? And it's already happening in many ways in our church, and I give thanks for that every week. But let's lean into that further. Let's lean into this gospel call to deep community, not because we can do it. No, 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 no. But because as we call out to God's Holy Spirit, He can in us and through us. Let's take a moment to pray that through for ourselves. Just we'll have a moment of silence and then I'll lead us in prayer. Oh, Father God, we may well find ourselves conflicted as we look at this. We love the thought of being in a community like this, but we're probably a bit terrified or overawed at the cost of playing our part. So we call out to you, we pray to you that you would convince our minds that this is indeed the richest and best way to live. And that our hearts would also be convinced that we can do this, not by our own efforts, but in the power of the cross of the Lord Jesus and the work of his spirit in us. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.